We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. Hello, and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com. Back for another season of Bucks basketball, which just got underway, and I am thrilled to be joined by Riley Feldman. Riley, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Adam. I'm thrilled to be here. Thrilled that we got off to a 2-0 start, and I'm thrilled that finally, after all these years, Adam Silver came through for us. He set us up with the season opener to end all season openers, and I'm excited to talk about it with you. I, I'm I'm jazzed to hear about the uh, hear about the Sixers win over the Sixers from your perspective. Um, we should say Kyle Carr will be joining us in the future. He's off for this one, um, sadly being an awesome all-star husband, but we are excited for him in the future. And for now, I'm just going to kick it to you, Riley, in sort of Kyle's absence to just talk about the Bucks beating the 76ers, a team that you loathe and despise. Yeah, um, this is well known. People have listened to the podcast for many years. This this iteration of it, at least those who are new, should be quite obvious that we obviously disdain the Sixers. And so to go out and beat the Sixers on their home opener, which is notoriously for any team is hard to beat a team on their home opener. Uh, I'm not sure if I've heard a home arena in the NBA as quiet as the Wells Fargo Center was during long stretches of the game. They have some of the worst in-arena ops I've ever heard. They do a remix, the cha-cha slide, that's as bad as Joel Embiid's conditioning. So it's really the whole the whole package fits together really well. We talked over the offseason that every time we talked about the Sixers, I would Google and be like, you guys would see, you and Kyle would see my face in shock that Doc Rivers was still the coach. <laughs> And he might not be the coach in like two weeks time. So I, I was ahead of the curve. I was not going to show I was ahead of the curve on the Doc Rivers firing because obviously that's coming. Um, but really, uh, nothing new about those two guys, Joel Embiid and James Harden. There's, everybody gets hyped about, oh, new season, new guys. And they're the same exact oafs they've been for forever. Um, and for the Bucks, uh, a tough offensive outing, but I think as we're going to talk about with the Sixers game and the um, Rockets game defense first. Uh, And even in a game where it turned into a bit of trench warfare and it's kind of up and down and the books had decent control heading into the fourth and they kind of just let it fade over like a minute and a half or so over some really bad uh, bench defense. Um, I thought what was most notable through these two games um, is just how good the defense looks. So um, yeah, I think, I think you're totally right. I think the defense it's it's interesting because I think the defense is the predominant storyline primarily because of Eric Dames, obviously great article at the athletic detailing how Charles Lee let slip, I guess, let slip. I mean, we all would have seen it after like three games or whatever, but that the Bucks are trying to prevent uh, opponents from shooting quite as many threes. We've all known for longtime Bucks fans, the Bucks for years have kind of given up the three pointer in, um, in favor of trying to prevent the rim at all costs in this, in the Sixers game, it's a good first outing for it. That was, it was true for most of the preseason. The one thing that was also true in the preseason is that teams made literally everything inside the arc as well, which is obviously is not a, not a primary component of what Bud wants. So the reason I thought it worked so well in this one is they obviously prevent the Sixers from shooting many threes, just 28% of their shots come from three. 
Last year, I believe it was around 38% of opponent shots came from three uh, against the Bucks. But in this one, they really held the Sixers in check at the rim. They shot like 50% at the rim, which is no mean feat given Joel Embiid, obviously, can be a monster inside. And James Harden still has some ability. Tyrese Maxey is quick off the dribble. But really, I thought it, it boiled down to Brooke Lopez looking really spry inside, at least against Joel Embiid and then obviously Giannis. So I thought that was the big thing that stood out to me is that the interior defense really held up uh, in combination with preventing the three-pointers. It had all the vibes of last season where Brooke shows up and is like, okay, if Brooke's ready for the year, he's gonna <laughs> he can beat Joel Embiid. And I was like, well, I hope we don't we see Brooke again between now and next April. And thankfully we did uh, against the Rockets. Yeah, the combination of Brooke Going into the season, I thought the idea was like, okay, we're going to really force a lot of, in theory, according to Charles Lee, a lot of pressure on the perimeter. And that seems to have been played out so far in the games we've seen. And so logically, you're like, okay, then Brooke Lopez is going to have to be even like more quick in his decision making of when he shows how quickly he goes out to the ball handler, like how he plays that in between space. And I guess the idea is if you keep enough pressure on the ball handler, then they won't be able to execute as well in like a pick and roll situation. And I think, you know, we'll see how the season goes on. Only two game sample size, tough to tell, but that seems to have been worked out pretty well so far. And for years, Joel Embiid has struggled against a guy of Brooke Lopez's size as part of why Brooke is so valuable, not only for anchoring the entire defense throughout the entire season, but in specific matchups against teams that have big men like Joel Embiid. You know, you never know if you're going to need something like that in the playoffs. And thus far, Brooke looks really spry. He looks like a guy who had pretty much a whole year off and then the whole offseason. Um, and the... It the first thing that I kind of jumped out at me at these first two games was it looks like we've kind of re reasserted ourselves as having Brooke and Giannis as like the most fearsome defensive duo inside. Like maybe teams will figure it out. Maybe this super aggressive on the perimeter will backfire at some point. But so far, speed wise, all the execution is fine. Like you you can watch it, recognize a lot of the principles we've seen, just a little bit different on how we're attacking at the point of attack. Almost kind of like a throwback a little bit to the Bledsoe era, but Bledsoe seemed to have kind of been doing his own thing. So now this is like a team-wide thing and really promising. Like, And part of it was the Sixers had a lot of mid-range shots and it just, they didn't go down. But like we said a million times before, that's kind of the shot that you're trying to give up. Now, the difficulty will be those teams, those players who happen to be excessively good at the mid-range, but those teams are pretty few and far between overall. So, Yeah, and I think, you know, I feel like for years, we always kind of got annoyed by the... I, by the overhoping off ball, we would get really frustrated by that. Dante DiVincenzo, bless his heart, primary culprit of that. But it's not like other people weren't immune to it. This one, this one was interesting because there wasn't that. There obviously wasn't much overhelping. Occasionally, like when Philly would try to get James Harden switched onto like a Grayson Allen or someone else, you could see Drew shading pretty aggressively towards the ball handler, which is. Just it's just it's just smart defense, right? You abandon your principles a little bit because you have someone of Drew's capability who is able to play within his own rules a little bit. For everyone else, you have very strict rules. For Drew, they're a little more lax. But you could you could see it in practice because James Harden was trying to take people off the dribble. And typically, if the Bucks were helping off or trying to make it harder for him to get inside or penetrate the interior. 
you would have someone from the exterior helping off, digging in, trying to get the ball out of him. And then instead, the Bucks kept everyone on the outside so that he wasn't able to pitch it out for three-pointers. And then it resulted in him taking, I think I saw a stat that this was like the most mid-range shots James Harden has made God knows how long, like 10 years or whatever, because he never took those in Houston. So that was really, like you said, forcing them into the long mid-range shot seems like a really good mathematical equation for the Bucks to attempt, especially in this game. I mean, really the only reason they won is because they shot almost half of their shots from three. And I mean, they didn't make them at a huge clip, but because they were taking so many shots from three, and then on the other end, preventing Philadelphia from doing that, even though they hit a lot of mid-rangers, the math game happened to work out in their favor. Yeah, you could tell too, like you said, the true aggressive shading. A number of times it almost feels like, like I said, he's the only one that rolled because the other guys will be like, oh, oh crap. And then Drew <laughs> like sprint across and be like, okay, now that I've gotten this guy in the corner, I have to sprint back to get the guy who's now open. And I think that's something that'll probably come with time as people understand the roles and how Drew wants to play. Um, but what's most valuable is the fact that Drew's able to do that. And I think this works now because you have like a Javon Carter who is undersized, but he's also willing to be like, I'm just going to not give the ball handler any space whatsoever. And maybe that's the sort of situation where he's too over aggressive. And then you really have to stay home because maybe the guy gets past him and there's not really like a pick and roll necessarily, but it's like, how does the help defense hold from there? It probably helps that Grayson Allen isn't quick enough to like, do effective help defense anyhow by the time it's like (laughs) time for him to crash in the plays already over um so i think that's probably a good thing so far it it just seems like the emphasis is a little bit different but for a defense like ours where the principle's been the same year over year the concern was at what points a la the jason kid bucks do opponent offenses kind of figure it out And each season, we've kind of seen slight shifts where people still haven't really figured out what the best way to attack it is. And I think through two games, promising start that it seems to be holding true this time around where it's not going to be, oh, God, we're getting killed on the floaters. We'll probably get get killed on floaters anyhow. But the same shot profile that we want to force other opponents into sands, even as many threes, seems to have held true so far through two games. Yeah, and I would say... Houston was an interesting brew. They got up a few more three-pointers, but they were taking, I think I looked it up, like 4% of their three-pointers, which was probably ended up being one or two, were from the corner. They, their young guys were just, if they, someone set a pick on them, they're just taking a, launching it from like 30 feet yeah, out. Yeah, I, like, I, don't, yeah. you, I don't know how to prevent that as a defense. It was crazy. Uh, and obviously it, it was no real concern. I mean, Jalen Green started making a few of them, which were really nice, but it, they were absolutely not high value shots. And they were happening mostly in the second half when the game or the game was pretty much already out of reach. So I was like, oh, whatever. It looked cool, but who cares? I was surprised to see they ended at 41% from three, which is like a pretty a pretty darn good mark given the volume they hit. Yeah, de- I, I mean, defensively, it's gonna that's going to be the story, I think, for most of the season. But the the interesting the more interesting thing to me is that it, the defense is I would say so much more malleable than it used to be. I mean, when Bobby Portis is in pick and rolls, they're switching. You know, there's just a lot more rules out there. You could, I mean, bless his heart, you could even see Jordan Wara and George Hill communicating on switches in this Houston game. Which, wow, that that just warmed me to the soul to see Jordan Wara doing something. I think he botched one a little later, but you know, kudos to him for trying. But I, I think what I was going to say earlier was, while defense is already sort of the predominant storyline early, 
I think offense is the much more important storyline this whole entire season. Early, we're not going to – all of us are going to give it a pass, basically, because Chris Middleton is gone, which, which is fine. I, I totally understand that. You can see they're trying so hard to get these dribble handoffs with Javon Carter, Grayson Allen going. Frankly, Javon Carter has looked really bad trying to initiate any sort of like specific play. I, I, I think he's I think he's a good player. I think he's probably trying to acclimate a little more to being in the starting lineup, having the ball in his hands a little more. But Grayson Allen, to me, has looked much better than Javon Carter, much more comfortable even driving into the teeth of his defense. But he has his own warts, too. So you can see them grasping and searching for anything outside of a Drew Giannis pick and roll to be able to execute offense. Now, the the biggest thing for me is what happens when Chris comes back? Obviously, do they find their rhythm again? Does eventually Joe Ingles inject some life into their system? But um, so far, like you said, it has been uh, a pretty tough defensive struggle. Obviously, they dominated Houston because Giannis was bigger than them. That was basically the offense. But uh, <laughs> against Philadelphia, it was definitely a struggle bus. Yeah, you could tell that Grayson and Javon are like, all right, I'm gonna. We're not gonna do Boston all over again. But they just—it's <laughs> beyond their capability. They, yeah, the, it's not their the, fault. The mind is willing, the body is not. That's that's the issue. Like the number, the Grayson Allen. I'm like, I appreciate you. He seems to be attacking the rim a lot more. Like not even a hesitation. Like he knows way ahead of time what he's going to do. But the number of times he's gotten absolutely decked in two games, <laughs> it's pretty because. <laughs> He doesn't move quick enough to like navigate through three defenders and then make the shot going like leaning away from the hoop. So you understand what he's trying to do. Having Chris out there will make it a lot easier. The If they can work on the principles of what they're going to do and then presumably with a little more space once Chris is out there, you kind of get it. Uh, but, you know, I mean, Grayson Allen ideally is pretty much a three-point guy who can occasionally cut. He And he did um, in the Sixers game, we should say, Things got a little bit tight, and it was Grayson Allen and Wes Matthews who came up big to help get it over the top. So Grayson had a really good read uh, to cut. I think there was a shot attempt, miss. Bucks got the offensive rebound. Drew got kind of trapped in the left wing, and then Grayson cut easy basket. I think that put him up by four. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they did another play kind of out of a previous timeout, six to score, and then Wes off another three design play. Um, so there are they're obviously all still capable capable guys but in the flow of like the course of 48 minutes yeah it's going to be a little iffy if Giannis isn't able to just power through guys now against Houston or a lot of teams he's going to be able to power through and do that Um, but against a Sixers team with PJ Tucker who is still a mound of annoyance like he's just a big strong guy and then Joel Embiid like that was just going to be always difficult so the fact that we even survived that could still execute I think bodes well for when Chris comes back but yes it's once you get past Giannis, Chris, Drew, and now that Brooke so far has been making threes, iffy, iffy to have guys creating their own shots. And that's, we kind of like foresaw that coming into the season. So, oh, I, just, I just realized that James Harden played 40 minutes and PJ Tucker played 39. I mean, that is highest minute totals for the Bucks were Giannis and Drew at 36. That's, that's, uh, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, the offense is uh, – I mean, what did you think of the starting lineup choice, I guess, by Bud? Because that's the other thing is he clearly wants to keep Wes Matthews kind of on ice for the regular season. He wound up getting to 20 minutes. But what did you think of the decision to go with the kind of three-guard lineup plus Giannis and Brook versus – I guess the other option is probably Bobby, right? That would probably be the only other viable person to put in there. 
I'm so glad they're not doing the three big lineup. It doesn't <laughs> make it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. One with like the only guy then on the bench right now is Serge Ibaka, and uh, you know, shout out to Serge, love your music, man. But uh, that's that's a lot of <laughs> responsibility for one guy coming off the bench, and it just doesn't. Those three big men in particular don't make a lot of sense together. I, I think it makes sense. We've been kind of thinking about the fact that we saw it in the Sixers game. Drew has so many moments where he's expending so much energy coordinating other guys on defense, doing the defending himself, like staying on James Harden for the 36 minutes he was out there. I'm sure they coincided pretty much every minute of those 36 minutes. That's a lot of energy to expend. And it showed out in the fact that Drew went like what, like (laughs) two for 15 from the floor. Um, And obviously against the Rockets, it was a different story because, uh, you know, Kevin Porter Jr. or Jalen Green are not nearly the like challenge i guess defensively for drew to get past i get why they went with javon because it's like let's figure out what this guy has got let's see if he could competently even do very simple actions to kind of help take the offensive initiation role off of drew for a couple possessions because when the playoffs come down it'll be i think at this point boonholzer trusts george hill right george hill bench guy he works best or like he can help lift the bench guys a little bit better than a Javon Carter could. So what does Javon look like? I think it makes sense conceptually to see with a new aggressive defense and let's see what Javon is capable of. So I don't, I don't mind it whatsoever. I think again, Wes, same situation as George. We know what Wes does. Uh, Budenholzer knows what to expect and how to assign things to Wes. Javon is kind of the biggest question mark. So I think it makes sense that he gets the start. Yeah, I'm in agreement. I think last, last thing that stood up from the Sixers game was Giannis, I mean, 21 points, 13 rebounds, eight assists. That's all great. But he definitely didn't – Well, I wouldn't say he was assertive looking for his own shot. I mean, he had the same number of shot attempts as, as Brooke Lopez, only a 26.9% usage for Giannis. What did, you, uh, what did you make of his game and kind of – I wouldn't say how passive he was, but I would say how in a sort of facilitation mode for a lot of the game. Um, This is – again, there's a lot of – similarities to these past couple seasons. It feels like they're all kind of coming together because last year, Chris and Drew missed time to start the year due to injury. And I think there was COVID, I'm pretty sure. And Giannis picked up the offensive playmaking responsibilities. And he goes every season like, oh, well, how can I get better? How can I execute better? And his passing in the second half, especially against the Sixers, was really crisp and went a long way to helping lift the team. I liked his quote to Eric Name where he said, you know, one day I won't have to push myself fully to the limit. He's like, tonight, you know, one day I'll be able to tell Marjan, okay, you go for 36 tonight. I'll go to 20. I was like, what kind of <laughs> herb is Yana smoking that Marjan's going for 36? <laughs> Maybe this is like 10 years from now when Marjan's at the peak of his powers and Giannis is close to retirement. But, um, you know, the mindset is in the right, in the right space, I think, where he knows what he's able to do offensively. Um, and he did come off of a pretty full summer. So uh, it, it's not surprising. We've seen it at times before. If he wanted to be like, make it a point of emphasis, that wouldn't surprise me whatsoever because he'll go through phases like, all right, my point of emphasis in January is mid range moves. He's like, okay, that's what we're doing for two weeks. And then he'll <laughs> switch to something else. So right now it just happens to be playmaker Giannis, which, uh, fine by me if, if he continues to work on that it's just it's all about increasing his familiarity or his comfort level on doing these things especially for with an eye on the playoffs one day so uh it's fine it's fine by me 
Yeah, I, I don't I don't have much else from this Sixers game. Anything else stand out to you? Uh, I'm trying to look here. Bobby looked iffy. Um, the, the bench was fine. We <laughs> Budenholz are running on some abomination lineups because there's nothing else to do. I think there was literally like an all bench lineup. Of, <laughs> I messaged her. I was like, this is an abomination we're running <laughs> right now. And that, that lineup gave up like 15 points in a minute and a half. Oh, so, <laughs> so uh, you know, Bud's hands a little tied with the rotation. But yeah, uh, ugly offensive game because Drew was struggling with a shot. But well, they got it done. So that's all good. They, they got the win, which is really what matters. Now, they absolutely decimated the Houston Rockets in this next game. This one honestly felt like varsity versus JV. The number mm-hmm. of times that the Rockets were driving inside to try to score against Brooke, and he was just swatting their shots away. They all looked so mm-hmm. small compared to everyone. And then on the offensive end, Giannis was just doing the same thing. I, I don't did you did you end up keeping track? How many end ones did he even get in that game? It was like absolutely crazy. Five or six, easily five or six and one conversions. Yeah. I mean, it was it was just an absolute destruction by Giannis. They couldn't guard him inside. 17 of 21 is absolutely ridiculous. I have no clue what the Rockets were supposed to do against him. He whoever they threw against him, he was destroying it. I don't have much to take away from this one. They're not going to be good this year at all. They probably won't be good for a few years, but if nothing else, it was fun to watch Giannis take a team completely to the cleaners. And it was really fun. I I, I think I got more fun out of watching Brooke destroy them inside and have them keep coming in and, and swatting them away like flies in the interior. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I was <laughs> thinking while I was watching it, this um, Usman Garuba, I think they had said he had never played in an NBA game before. I'm like, can you imagine? You're like, welcome to the league, and you have to cover. It was just the number of times that Giannis just isolated. I was like, what's going through that guy's head right now as Giannis is like doing a step move to get ready to go right through him? It was like the easiest 17 of 21 I've witnessed in a long time. And he even had a couple of threes too, which is uh, amazing. Um, Yeah, Giannis was his usual self. The, like the one thing that kept was so mesmerizing was yes, the Brook blocks and this was funneling everyone in the, the Rockets young guys had like that um, hubris to be like, Oh, or like they, they just weren't thinking like the step ahead. So like they'd beat whoever on the perimeter and it's like Kevin Porter Jr. is like, I'm just going to keep going. And then like Brooke would just, <laughs> he wouldn't even have to move at all. I was like, okay, that's probably going to be the easiest assignment Brooke has in a, like almost all season long. So part of that was just the Rockets young guys. The other thing, Jordan Wara, four six from the floor. This guy is insane. He's like, <laughs> I mean, he's been here for how many years? He clearly knows that he needs to find. So I think he's just trying to play his way onto another team. The like the dribble moves, the total like this is my time. Choose. He'll be on the floor with like three other starters. He's like, I'm just gonna do this dribble move out on the wing and like take a three, and it, it went in, so it was fine. Um, but I just wanted to give a shout out to Jordan Wara, who was had to have been somewhat close to looking at washing himself out of the league and said, I'm not gonna change a single thing I do, and I respect that. Hey, I mean, plus 15 for the game for Jordan Wara. <laughs> There's nothing quite like that. That when you're, when you're on the elbow ISO and Giannis, Drew, and Brooker are, are flanking you, you need to take your guy. You need to step back and go for the jumper. Uh, God. Okay, well, okay. so that's, that's, I guess, the other topic is in Chris Middleton's absence, 
there's the sort of wow, is it going to be war? Is it going to be Bochamp? Uh, I mean, when time when times actually matter, uh, please, for the love of God, hopefully neither of them have to be on the court. Mm-hmm. I think that's my biggest takeaway so far is. I, I knew it was going to be rough sledding, obviously for a rookie of anyone to be able to contribute, but I, I have serious reservations about Marjan Bochamp being able to do much of anything this year based on, obviously it's a small sample size, but um, I he, he's obviously behind Wara maybe due to just how comfort level with Bud, but um, he seems like he might be more of a project than I maybe thought. Yeah, he, he recorded a minus two in two minutes. That's, <laughs> you know, if we're looking at the advanced stat, let's go deeper. Minus two That's in true. two minutes. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Um, his, his one made basket was fine. I also have reservations. Um, if only because, like, the whole theory was he defends, defense gets you in Bud's good house, and he might be purely a better defender than Jordan Wara, but like that's only on relative terms. It's not like a Marjan is so good that he's like one of the top five defenders of the team. I think that's probably not the case. He, he has the potential. It's I think we've already kind of have a vibe though. Just like looking at the players, even against the Rockets, I'm like looking at these dudes. I'm like, man, Marjan would probably have like kind of a tough time. He's, he's like too thin, a little too lanky. Like I think, some of the nerves are still there, especially offensively, like in the preseason. It was like, well, he definitely doesn't really have a clue what he's doing whatsoever. Um, and unless if we like get really desperate, I'm not sure if a defense-only specialist makes sense. Jordan Wara is a defensive traffic cone, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you could argue that he at least does enough on offense. Would that be in transition? I mean, he does make like oddly tough shots. Like, okay, that's something you can work with, especially when we're missing Chris and literally nobody else can really create their own shot. At least that has a value. Marjan's like a, ne- <laughs> like a total negative on offense, unless it's a total blown play or he just happens to outrun everybody else, which is probably not going to happen all that often. So I guess ultimately we look back exciting to think of what he could be, especially with the summer league outing, but I'm just not sure where the minutes are going to come. Uh, maybe a year of development, some time in the G league, I think would do him a lot of good. Um, time in the strength program would do him a lot of good, but I just, if he's going to continue to be nothing on offense, I just don't know if there's a place for him right now, um, except outside of garbage time, obviously. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying I think he's going to be a bust or anything. There's lots, there's tons and tons of time. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> we, like it's, I think you made the key point that yes, you need, you obviously drafted him. You want a little more defensive versatility, but um, this is this is something I think we'll get into in our next segment when I talk about the overall outlook. Defense has not really been the issue the last few years for the Bucks at all. Even with you could say, all right, well, what about Grayson Allen though? I mean, the Bucks were defending at one of the best rates in the playoffs all of last year. And yes, Jason Jason Tatum went off in Game Six against the Bucks. Otherwise, they probably win that series. He had an unbelievable game, was able to score in isolation a lot. That that won't happen all the time on the road. It was a really good performance. And I don't think like Marjan Bochamp necessarily solves uh, I was that. Gonna, I was going to say, do you want to do the hypothetical? What if Marjan was there last year? I, do are we tight? <laughs> do we win a title? I don't think he solves that. I, I highly, get, I mean, for as bad as Grayson was in the Boston series, he, Marjan probably doesn't even make as many offensive plays as Grayson did. Who At was, least Grayson has like the the threat of making the occasional three. <laughs> yes, this was this was like the one reason I didn't want to hate on Grayson is like. The occasional three, and he's basically the only person outside of Drew and Giannis that was capable of 
dribbling inside the arc and having anything happen. I mean, um, but that, that's the thing about Bochamp that, you know, you're intrigued by and you're intrigued by the athleticism. And it's nice to have, you know, looking at the roster, there's like, there's so many guys that, that are old now and you're like, well, they're going to age well because their game doesn't rely on athleticism. You can only, there's just one, actually probably like four too many people that you look at on the (laughs) roster and think that about. So it's, it's good to have like someone young who you could look at with some upside. I'm, I'm curious what he will turn into, but I think clearly the, the Bucks organization is pinning their hopes more on the older, the older folks and Joe Ingles solving some problems. I've like conceptually thought like how many guys can you have on the roster that you credit their quote old man game to before you're like, ah, are we going in the wrong direction here? <laughs> like We're using the word old a lot. Uh, this is like Chris too. It's like Chris is going to age beautifully because they already plays like an old guy. I'm like, is that, is that really true? Are we, are we sure? <laughs> so uh, at least it's not like one of our top stars that we're like, oh, this is an old guy and we're cool with that. Um, but yeah, I, I, maybe Marjan will surprise us, but you know, it, I think it would have been nuts. So I know people were like, let's just put Marge on the starting lineup. I'm like, well, we're not fucking insane. So we're <laughs> not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. um, and it's Jordan Wara might be in Buzz Doghouse, but Jordan Wara has had like some net positive moments. And he, again, defensive uh, traffic cone, but he had like some net neutral minutes against the Sixers. Like, yeah, I mean, he hit some okay. shots, which is like as, as much yes. as you can ask of someone like yep. that. Yeah, no, I think it makes total sense. I, I think people who are really in on Marjan will be disappointed. Again, this is not to say anything about what his career will be, um, because we're just not a team at the point in our contention cycle that can just like give a guy who's 20 years old a ton of run. Just be like, oh, we'll just see what happens. We, unless barring injury, there's just no real need to do that whatsoever. Okay, so th- I think this is a really good way to segue into our next topic, which is we're going to discuss the, our general season outlook because we obviously didn't record for about two months. Um, and there's a big prediction roundtable on brewhoop.com that I recommend everyone go. It gives a really everyone's different opinion on a whole wide variety of different questions about this particular team. The first and foremost was how far we think they're going to go. I, I believe I need to check again, but I'm pretty sure you and I, Riley, were the only people who had us had the Bucks not at least making the finals. Um, we had, I think we each had them losing in the conference conference finals, which is obviously would be pretty miraculous, like a really good finish, I would say. Um, I think for a lot of people, it would probably be a disappointment given the expectations for this team. So I'd like to talk generally about that and why you are, might, might have like some reservations about them obviously being able to go back and, and win the title and all that stuff. Um. Because we're old, uh, is that going to? I mean, that's just, that? <laughs> I mean, I think that's a valid. It's a valid reason. Uh, it's very and, valid. And I think if you hit, if you go read the roundtable, and if you look at a lot of the comments, we have a lot of really intelligent commenters. And this is not me going to the masses to be like, look at how correct I am. I'm have my finger on the pulse. But I think this is a common concern among a lot of people where we've had it where we kind of get to the end of the season and you get banged up and you're like, okay, the top three are obviously really good, but if any of them are hampered whatsoever, is there enough there, there on the rest of the roster to overcome it? And for the guys that I'm looking at the roster right now, they, they have not shown the capability of stepping forward and overcoming. And you could, if you had younger guys on the team that were in Jordan Wara, you could say, 
maybe they'll surprise and throughout this season, this will be the guy that steps forward. Like this was like kind of like Pat Connaughton. Pat Connaughton is like younger relative, younger guy who in, especially in the Suns series in the finals, step forward. He helped overcome in some like some real God awful minutes and he powered the team through like a game and a half, which yep. is all you need. I look at Brooke Lopez. I look at um, George Hill. I look at Wes Matthews, Bobby Portis. Bobby's been a little up and down, um, but you look at the other guys like there's nobody here besides Grayson and maybe Bobby, Bobby that I can say younger guy who can step forward potentially, or if they have had the opportunity to step forward, they didn't take it. So now I'm looking at it and you're rolling the dice on are Drew, Giannis and Chris all going to be healthy by the end of the year. Uh, knock on wood, obviously if they are, then that solves a lot of the problems, but it's just, we've had good health with those guys for whatever, two seasons now, three seasons almost. Um, well, we've only had Drew for uh, two seasons at this point, but the time that we've had, and they've had pretty good health except for Chris last year. Chris is gone and we falter. So is that, are they going to have the good health? That's really the bet is like, do you bet on those guys' health? Because I don't think the rest of the roster, there's anybody that's going to take a step forward. And that ties into the whole idea of when do we take the next step? What does the next iteration of the roster look like? Because continuity is good and all, especially with those top three. I think the roster is totally fine with those top three, but that's not going to be the answer for forever. So that's just kind of what's holding me back a little bit is just gambling on the injuries, how torn up you are by the end of the season. That's what's making me a little iffy. And I, th- I could very easily see a scenario. I mean, I could definitely see a scenario where the Bucks make the finals, win the title. Uh, oh, yeah. And that's why there's so many people on our site who also had them making the finals, possibly winning the title. I think the biggest, one of the biggest arguments for that is Bucks have Giannis. And I don't think anyone in the East is crazy formidable. I think Boston is definitely the only other team that I'm super fearful of. Um, But the problems that they gave the Bucks last year, I know it went to seven games. If you have Chris Middleton, maybe you win. Boston also had... If you have Marjan Beauchamp, maybe. If you have Marjan Beauchamp instead of Grayson <laughs> Allen out there, you win. The Bucks also lost, had like a pretty large minus point differential. If you look at the series overall, they pulled one win completely out of their butts in, in game five. And they also, which I forget which one, game five wasn't the same as the Bobby rebound where Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart like ran into each other either. No. I think that was game three, right? So there, there's... Tons of different ways. History was written by the victors. But in this case, I think actually a lot of people are still looking at the loser and viewing it as, okay, they were down one of their key players, so they probably should have won it all, which I think is a totally valid argument. And I think that played out. I mean, if you look at ESPN.com, 12 of them picked the Bucks to win it all or make the finals. That is a crazy amount of consensus mm-hmm. to me. I, 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 I can't necessarily blame them because I think Giannis – could be that special because I, he, he's, he's obviously shown that these last couple of years, but almost immediately, this is just probably me being silly or whatever, but that almost immediately gave me pause, Riley, when I saw that level of consensus. I had to look to the past years immediately to see what it looked like in past years, um, and it didn't bode well for who the consensus pick was for the last couple couple seasons. I was shocked too, because I was going into it. I was like, I'm hearing no buzz whatsoever for obvious reasons the Celtics took a step back because of the Udoka situation. So that's understandable, but 
sans that you would think a lot of people would be picking them when i saw that kind of consensus i was like yo people remember the bucks like play they, they remember <laughs> that and i'm so used to the the backlash against Giannis of like your average idiotic nba twitter mm-hmm. person i was like okay Giannis didn't prove it last year that he could do it so of course i was like if sports media is anything now Giannis is like a bum so <laughs> whenever it was like Giannis is quite clearly the best player uh in the entire league um I, I was shocked by that as well and i think when you talk about us with injuries there was i think uh Theo in the comments, he he said something funny. He was like, I want to remind everybody that yes, we got a year older, but all the other contenders got a year older. It's like, yeah, that's true. You know, I talk about how older we are, but there's a lot of like the heat are old as hell. Uh, Al Horford has to be turning into dust here soon. Like every team has really old guys on the roster. So if you like equalize all that, it makes sense that so long as you have Giannis, best player, that'll push you. And I think, like I said, neither of us, nobody on the staff, no Bucks, would be surprised if we like went to the finals and won it again. We have that talent. It's just, if you look at like just odds of us being able to have the clean bill of health, that's, that's the main thing. Um, and it's not, again, this, that's why I was confused by like people picking the Bucks. Cause it's like, okay, George Hill literally contemplated retirement. He's going to have a role <laughs> to play. Uh, Wes Matthews, fine, but he's like 36. Serge Ibaka, back replacement. Brooke, who's looked good, but, essentially back surgery we have no idea what joe angles is gonna be uh you know acl and old so it's just you know that's that was really stacking up against me um when i was picking the team but again i would this is not to say i would be at all surprised if we got to the playoffs and just started buzz sawing teams we we have the potential it's just will the health hold up yeah i i think i mean circling back to what you said about a lot of people being old and figuring out the next iteration of the team that's one of that's one of the reasons i don't I'm going to enjoy this season basically no matter what the outcome is. I think that the title has bought me many, many years of goodwill with this team and enjoying Giannis while he's with this this particular iteration of the Bucks is 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 amazing. Enjoying Giannis at any time is amazing. But this this particular group probably has a a, a pretty soon a pretty near expiration date, potentially, given the age of the roster. So really trying to enjoy what could be maybe like a two more year run potentially max with like some of these core players. Maybe you keep the big three a little longer, but um, I'm trying to savor that while I can. I think the big, for me, the major reason I wasn't necessarily comfortable having them make it out of the East. And once again, caveats, I could see them doing it is I, the huge bugaboo in this team's side, the last few years has been offensive performance in the playoffs on, on Zach Lowe's podcast. A few times he's mentioned how he thinks the Bucks obviously recognize that half-court offense in the playoffs is a major issue, and he thinks they're going to address it, which has been really interesting to me to hear him say that. I mean, who knows if that's true or not, but very clearly that's been in their mind, uh, I would say, the last couple off-seasons. I mean, I think they, you know, they wanted to get Grayson Allen because they thought they needed a little more someone who was going to be able to make threes in the playoffs, right? Uh, Joe Ingles was clearly an offensive bet. He's someone who may, who knows how he's going to hold up defensively. He has length, but I think they are presuming, okay, we need someone else who's going to be able to allow us to perform offensively. I, I mean, the, for me, the biggest thing is if they want to be better offensively in the half court, they need to find a way for Drew Holiday to not have really bad offensive games in some of these. And they, they need to have at least one role player have a solid performance from three 
maybe two, because I think you can really, I'm, I'm, really, I'm basically counting Pat Connaughton as like a core player. I think he's almost always going to be in there, but they need one bench player to be able to hit a lot of shots from threes. And that's, that's what the offensive upside can be. It might be, I don't want to put it all on Drew because he's so impactful defensively, but like, that's what you were counting on after the pretty bad offensive performance in a lot of games on the way to the title. You were saying, okay, well, Drew can't be, can't, you know, have, have this possibly. many struggles again. <laughs> he can um, possibly struggle and, this much. And, and he had so much on his plate, but you know, that's really the thing that that's holding me back. I don't, I don't know if they really addressed that because it wasn't, it was a huge issue even with Chris in the run to the title for most of the series besides the Phoenix one. And I don't know if Joe Ingles solves that for them. Um, the, the is we're having a, a conundrum right here because we have on one hand, like Bud loves his vibes only offense where he's just like, do whatever. I don't get, and right now he's on painkillers to the moon because <laughs> he got a robotic foot a la Dante. So we have that. And then like Bud being like, but we have to try and call some plays. So I'm sure those two things are <laughs> going to be a weird mesh to start the season. I would love a little more structure of the offense, but you're like, <laughs> you're so right about you need somebody to make threes. And I look at the roster and I'm like, who here besides Pat is going to make threes <laughs> real. So Wes, Wes, you were like, maybe, but he's going to be the same in the drew. Like he's going to be defending his ass off. So him making threes is probably not going to happen. Grayson, maybe, but that didn't happen last year. Bobby's shot is, I know he's locked in and he's worked on it, but it still looks pretty slow. All things considered. <laughs> so I'm like looking at the other guys. I'm like, I don't know who's going to, it's definitely not going to be Marjan and hopefully Jordan War is on <laughs> another team by then. So like, I'm not seeing who it's going to be now. Maybe it's Joe Ingles. Maybe it's Pat Connaughton. Chris will help, but even in the past, Chris, not to the same level as Drew, but Chris can like not go cold, but he'll just kind of like get a little passive from time to time. He'll have like three 13 to 16 point games possibly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that it's better than whoever his replacement would be. So don't get it twisted. That's obviously better than a zero or whatever you get from somebody else. But um, you're right that if you bring that up, like even at the level, <laughs> I think we have to accept much like Eric Bledsoe, obviously it's not the same level, but Eric Bledsoe turning into the pumpkin of all pumpkins in the playoffs, offensively, especially Drew has shades of that. He's just that much better of like a defender slash like playmaker. A- a- acorn squash or something. He's not a full <laughs> pumpkin. Yeah, but they're in the same family. Like, yes. you know, you're you're at the the patch and you're like, oh, look at there's Drew Holiday and over in the other field. <laughs> but so, um, so, you know, while I'm saying that this very early start of the season has a lot of similar like strains of the previous seasons, you could also because it's the same exact guys, you can see those same sort of like issues cropping up, especially offensively, like you said, uh, defensively. Even last year, I think we were like 11th in the regular season. And I think we were like by far the best defense yep. in the postseason. Consistently, that's like almost never a problem. Uh, and in the title year, we had to like grind our way. The defense was never the issue. It was just like, Jesus Christ, Drew cannot score. Giannis went a long way to picking it up because he just carried the team essentially in the finals, uh, which was great. And he's capable of doing that against the right team. But you're right that the half-court offense uh, – we have to see it to believe it. And we could see a, maybe some four steps in the regular season, but the team doesn't take the regular season as seriously. So how much can we really clean? So that's going to be a big question mark that hangs over. Even if we have like the best offense in the league or whatever, it's going to be something like, well, how does it translate? I don't know how it translates. 
Yeah, and I um I w- I wish Kyle was here a little bit because he might offset a little bit of our slight skepticism. But I think the the over there's so many paths to this team still overcoming whatever small deficiency they have because every other team has deficiencies too. No other team is perfect in the league. There's lots of problems with every other team. The as a baseline, the Bucks will be one, if not the best defensive teams in the playoffs, which is more reliable basically than than having offense, which can come and go based on on cold shooting and whatnot. So that's an amazing place to start from. You throw in the best player in the league and you're automatic I mean, you're basically, you know, two steps of the way there to being able to get back to a championship. You're hoping for a little bit of luck. You're hoping, okay, you know, if if the defense was able to hold up last year um, and, you know, without PJ Tucker and without, you know, some of those dogged guys, you probably have hope that like, okay, well, there's probably a sort of systemic way that we can work in Joe Ingles and hope he makes shots and we won't really be hampered by that. Um, and if he's, if he's able to be, you know, whatever he was before. So there's, there's so many paths for this team still to win another title because they have the best player in the league and they're not facing an East that is as formidable as the, some of the past, I would say it's deeper, but it doesn't have a player like LeBron in it. Giannis is the best player in it and there's no sort of super team outside of them. So there's still so many paths for this team to, to repeat and come back as champions. Yeah, we we have overcome some truly, truly, truly horrendous offensive performances. Yes. We have come, overcome so many times, and that's because the defense is that good, and we just need one of these times around for the offense to be not truly, 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 truly horrendous. And it's tough, too, because the defense holds up, but like when the offense goes cold, Giannis is like, okay, I have to pick up even more of the load. And it's like, okay, yeah. well, now I'm going to have to go through three to four guys. And if I try to pass it to anyone, you're either going to turn it over or it's going to be an air ball. So, and then like defensively, like it's just, <laughs> the offense is the problem so far. I mean, in the Sixers game, the offense was a problem. It was a lot like every other defensive slugfest that we came out on and that's good, but prefer a little more breathing space please just because it it wears it wears on like a guy like Giannis no matter how capable he is if there's literally nobody else scoring that's that's gonna present a problem no matter how good your defense is so we'll see we'll see I I think through two games the defense is still there you like you said but um we'll see once Chris comes back and and Pat and Joe Ingles because those those are three guys who are going to primarily be offense guys and how does that work out so that that's one thing you could look at if we struggle to score to start the season Recall that those three guys are going to be plus offensive players in theory. So just keep an eye out for them. Yeah. Yeah. They, they used up like every single ounce of offensive luck they had in that game five sun series <laughs> in the sun series with to like way overperform what they should evaporate like a 20 point disadvantage. And <laughs> like that, we used it all up there. So that's why we didn't have any of it. It's a good time year. to use it. Good time to use yes. it up. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that's gonna that's gonna do it for our recap and season preview. Let's talk about the uh, predictions. First predictions for the week for the season, Riley. With in the middle of a long home home stand, I'm. This is kind of gonna be a juicy game. Okay, so the Nets at home on Wednesday, then the Knicks on Friday, Hawks on Saturday. So two of the teams they faced in the preseason, we get to have another matchup with them. What is your uh, prediction for the record? 
I think we're going to go two and one. I think we'll lose to the Nets, unfortunately, putting on ice my dreams of a perfect 82 and 0 season. Um, <laughs> we're going to lose at three games in. That doesn't mean that the Sixers can't go 0 and 82, though. Don't get me confused. They could also <laughs> capture immortality. Um, and I think we'll beat the Knicks and the Hawks. I think the Nets and the Hawks, Hawks games are the ones to circle because each of them are going to challenge the defense. This this is the thing is like every matchup. This is the same with every season. I'm like, how are they going to do against our defense when I just know the offense is going <laughs> to be a roller coaster? So because I can reliably count on the defense and see like how they adjust to the Hawks, who have like Trey Young, who's this quick little guard, and then you know they have um, Murray now. So how's like that two guard? How we react to that? Or the Nets, where it's like KD and Kyrie? Like I just. In- that's something a more enjoyable matchup because I can rely on the defense. So those are my two games I'm looking forward to. I think we'll lose to the Nets, but beat the Knicks and Hawks. Yeah. I think it's valid too, at this point to look at the defense more given, like you said, we're missing three big plus offensive players, two ones that we're used to from the past. Yeah. If we, if we're running out like legit Jordan Wara minutes and like Serge Ibaka minutes, and we're still like the defense is hanging tough. I think uh, that bodes well for where things are going to go this season. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go three and zero. I think they're gonna win all these games. I, I like you. I have. I am very interested to see how many mid rangers Dejounte Murray needs to hit before everyone's really, really upset on Saturday night. Um, but get two, two of them. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, Fire Bud Hire Lee is gonna be on Twitter almost immediately. <laughs> uh, but the, I mean, like you said, those will be good good stress test for something that's obviously we're all paying attention to given there was some changes in the off season to the defensive strategy. And I, I just think, I think being at home is going to be good. I think Giannis is going to be interested in, in beating all of these teams uh, given some of the past playoff mm-hmm. series that they've held. So I, I think I'm going to go three and zero. go give it, give a little positive stuff to offset some of my skepticism you had in the session before. So uh, all right. Well, that's going to do it for the first episode of this 2022-23 buck season for the Brew Hoop podcast. Go make sure to go to brewhoop.com, share this with uh, with all your friends. If you're a new listener, we normally record just about every week now that the season is underway, so it'll be Riley, Kyle, and myself. So, thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you again soon. <laughs>